Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. When you're done, make sure to head to our website at unapologists.com where you can see all of our latest updates and our season lineup. And while you're there, head over to the support page so you can find out ways to keep the show going. Enjoy today's episode. Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the oasis in the desert, Christopher Polson. <laughs> Vito, if I'm the oasis in the desert, you know what you are? You're that first drop of water, my friend. Oh my goodness. The one that just, uh, that, that was not good water. Shouldn't have done that. Let's just say, hey, the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Vito McKenzie on this end. Chris, Vito, got a question for you. Yes, lay it on me, sir. Lay it on me. It's the summertime and we're all relaxing, but you know, time the, of recording, it's the summertime. It's the summertime, a time of recording, but during the year, like, what's your favorite way to wind down after a heavy day of teaching? You know what, Vito? I, I, I was thinking about this question because I knew you were going to ask it. And I actually have kind of two ways to do it. And I have a winter wind down and i have a summer wind down like a hot month wind down okay now the hot month wind down i pick my two sons up from uh from their daycare and charles is in school now actually wow and we set up we take all the hoses we move them to the backyard and we set up as many like slip and slides as we can and we just make the backyard water park and that is like one of the best ways to just kind of chill after a rough day. Um, and then I, I know this is going to come out sounding kind of, I don't want to say like nerdy, but definitely, I don't know, maybe cliched. Uh, you know, if it's cold out, you know, I, I, I build a fire in the fireplace and I sit in my big basket chair and I have a nice cup of tea and a good book, my friend. And then if that doesn't work, it's Tony Hawk Pro Skater HD remake <laughs> one and two. Oh man! Well, that that uh, book by the fire you just described heaven for me. Like let me let me tell you, heaven is just a hammock with an endless library. That is my heaven right there. Like, it's a real. Uh, you know what it is? It's an immortal universe. Oh, it is an immortal. It, absolutely. But Vito. But but you know what, Chris? We've been talking. Nobody. Like, Nobody, nobody. Chris no. and I actually, for the first time in a long time, got together in person, especially today. Across the country. Today, got across the day country. of recording. At time recording, we even sat down together. And while we we're having a chat at lunch, someone came over and said, "Guys, no one wants to hear you talk. Nobody, <laughs> Vito, Chris, I, I'm trying. Nobody wants to hear you talk." I'm trying to order a buffalo chicken wrap, and the waitress says, "No one wants to hear from you and Vito." No, no. But we do have someone we really want to hear from tonight. Wow. Do oh, we have Vito. A with us. Chris, please introduce our guest tonight. Vito, we got a speaker. We got a former classroom teacher. We got an athletic coach. We got a finalist for Colorado's Teacher of the Year. And don't think I didn't look that one up. And of course, we have the author of a book that just dropped called Coaching for Educator Wellness, a guide to supporting new and experienced teachers. We got Dr. Tina Bogren in the house. Welcome to the show. The doctor is in the house. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am so happy to be here. I am someone that wants to listen to you talk. I love, love hearing about 
I love the idea of the winter months self-care and like wind down and then the summer months. And you brought back so many memories around slip and slide. So it's going on my list for well, sure. Well, you have to and understand, I live in a city that got to minus 60 Celsius this week. Oh, I can't <laughs> think about it. I thought I lived in a cold place. Nope. <laughs> yeah, when the cold comes here, we do, we hunker inside. Like it's just, just hot chocolate nonstop. Uh, and the books. I'm there for the books as well. Yes. <laughs> oh, but at least you're slipping inside, Chris. Uh, I hope you don't put rocks at the end of it because that's what my sister <laughs> used to do to me. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I haven't done that to young Charles yet. He hasn't experienced the slipping rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dr. Tina, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Like you like you just were so excited, so excited that uh, you wanted to come chat with us because we just we want to pick your brain so much at tonight and but before we get there you know every guest we bring on has a story about how they got into teaching what propelled them to the person there today so can you start by telling us your story yeah, absolutely. First, I'm just, I'm so, so glad that we made this happen. So I'm just, I, my smile, I know you can't see a smile on a podcast, but my smile is large right now. So I'm just thrilled to be here. We are so, so pumped my, to have you. Oh, yay. I just love it. I love it. So uh, my story, I started started as a teacher. Well, let me back up and say that um, I didn't plan to be a teacher. I'm not one that grew up in a family full of educators. So my my dream was always to be a writer. I specifically wanted to be a New York Times bestselling author. I mean, I aimed real high and thought that this was just, you know, something that you, <laughs> you just happened. So I went to University of Iowa, which is a great place to get get an English degree. And as senior year approached and I'm, I'm holding my English degree, getting ready for graduation, the realization is like, I don't really know what my job is going to be. <laughs> and at the last minute, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I should think about tacking on a teaching certificate to this. So I did. I got my secondary English education teaching license. So I was certified to teach middle school and high school. Um, and I, I got placed, I did my uh, student teaching at, um, I did my practicum at a high school and then I finagled my way. I knew um, I wanted to move to Colorado. I was able to do my student teaching out in Denver and I fell in love with it. Oh, I especially fell in love with middle school, which just shocked me because I wanted to be, my dream was to be a high school English teacher and I got placed at middle school and I saw the look on your faces. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to jump in <laughs> For those of you, Chris and I both lit up. <laughs> I yeah, that was uh, middle school. We don't. I mean, we don't. Hear I, that I taught one a middle lot. school. Don't get me wrong; it's a lovely age, but you don't hear people. It's not a lovely that. age. I mean, I didn't. We just don't hear that a lot. No, no, and I wouldn't have thought that. So you know, you don't really have a choice when it comes to. And and for us, how it worked is we had to do a practicum experience and 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 a, and a um, student teaching experience at two different levels. So a middle school and a high school. So they just said, Tina, you're doing middle school. And I remember crying because I was like, oh, God, I have to go back to middle school. I hated middle. No one likes middle school. And I got there and I actually fell in love with it. So I actually got stuck in middle school for a long time by choice. I just content wise, I always said I wanted the content of high school kid wise. Oh, my goodness. Nothing makes me laugh more than a middle school child. So I, I, I stayed with middle school for a long time. I moved, I got the opportunity to become an instructional coach, which I loved. I got to work with new teachers, I got to coach. And I got, the way that we did it in our district is, 
is we got to kind of work together with other coaches. So we had kind of a K-12 vision. So I got experience at the elementary level that way, moved into administration. I spent a year as an assistant principal at the middle school <laughs> level, which was not as joyous. It was a lot of discipline and middle school <laughs> discipline makes for good stories, but long days. And then I, um, I ended up just kind of as a fluke, you know, how things just kind of work out. Um, there were a bunch of cuts happening in my district. So I was working on my PhD. I did my superintendency internship with a woman who ended up becoming the vice president of Marzano Resources. So she reached out. It was just one of those who you know, right place, right time. And so I started on at Marzano Resources. I actually was a project director. I, I led this massive project of what works in Oklahoma schools, massive research project. And then um, serendipitously, at the end of that project, we needed to go present our findings, which was kind of doing a mini professional development. And I fell in love with that. I didn't know that, that I would like that. I was the kid um, in class that was told she should speak up more. She doesn't talk enough, right? And so the thought of getting in front of an audience it just to this day, my parents can't believe I do this job. I, I couldn't give a speech. I was always too fast. It was anyway, I fell in love with that. So I got Dr. Marzano hired me on to become an associate. So I started working full time. Um, I looped in with Solution Tree and I've just kind of found my niche. So I started working with with educators on instruction. And then I wanted to, I saw a real need to take our instructional framework and make this work for new teachers. So I started, I wrote a book for new teachers. And then I wanted to write a book for, well, I started with actually the book for the mentors of thinking, how do we support new teachers? And as I was doing all of this, I was getting to a place where I was traveling a ton and I was starting to burn out. I was burning the candle on both ends and all the way through the middle, like we all do. I don't think I was doing anything different than anyone else. I just, but I was pretending everything was fine. It's fine. I, the typical, we all know this, right? It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. That, <laughs> but I would take I mean, these trips. That's a huge vibe. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the t-shirt. We all need the t-shirt that says that. And as, as the world and the universe works out, around this time, I had the opportunity to co-author the book, Motivating and Inspiring Students with, with Bob Marzano. And what we did in that book is we talked about how we can motivate and inspire students using Maslow's hierarchy. So as a practitioner, what I was doing was taking the research and thinking about what does this look like in the classroom? And it was like the lightning bolt, like just head on your hand, like hand on your head <laughs> moment of, I am not taking care of myself. Maslow's hierarchy is not working for me. And, and as I dug into the research, so much was making sense because we know the first two levels of Maslow's hierarchy are physiological and safety needs. If those aren't solid, we can't even pay attention. And so I wasn't sleeping. I was not eating properly. It was a lot of fast food and drive throughs Water, what? Didn't have time for that. I couldn't possibly, I don't have time to work out, like all of those things. And so as I was thinking about this book for teachers, it was the aha moment of I need to make some changes. So I went on a personal journey to change some things because it was either quit this job, which I, at the end of the day, I love the job. It was either quit the job or figure some things out. I knew I had to make some changes. So I went on kind of a personal journey and I had some huge ahas. 
And as I worked with teachers and most of my friends are teachers and the people I hang out with are teachers. And as it typically goes, people are like, what's going on with you? Something's changing. Something's happening. Good things. Like, what are you doing? And I just started sharing kind of some of the things that I figured out. I'm a nerd about the research. I love to research. So I just kept digging and digging and digging. And then I started sharing and I had some people kind of go on the journey with me. And so the first book that I wrote on self-care was Take Time For You. And that reached some some a pretty wide audience. And then the second book, the follow-up was 180 Days of Self-Care, which is really like those self-care hacks. And that one, it hit at the right time. Uh, the pandemic hit. And I think the curtain got pulled back and everyone said, oh my gosh, <laughs> they had the moment like I did that we all do of, I we cannot continue at this rate. And so it's just kind of escalated. It's It's been very interesting to watch. The, the notion of educator wellness and self-care has been important to me for years, but I was having trouble gaining traction. I was still getting from a lot of places like, oh yeah, Tina, maybe spend like 10 minutes on that, but that's the fluff stuff. We got to talk about student achievement. And now people are finally recognizing that there is a direct line between our educator, our wellness, taking care of the adults in the building and student achievement. And so if there's a silver lining of the pandemic, I think that's it. I think we're going to see some huge shifts and changes. We're already seeing it as we've made the transition to thinking about social emotional learning for students. I think we're finally seeing, oh, wait, back up. We got to start with the adults in the building. If we're not solid ourselves, how can we possibly take care of students? So now this is like I jump out of bed so excited to talk about this and just support teachers. I my, my tagline is that I'm a fierce advocate for educators. It's it's my mission is truly to take care of the adults. I am not worried about the students because I know educators are just crushing it. Like they take care of the students. That is not a worry. My question is who's taking care of the adults? That's a huge, Chris, I don't know if that hit you. That was a huge vibe for me right there. Well, that's, you know, I just think about the last year and a half and before that. And, and I think you're absolutely right because even that, that, that term self-care, you know, that is a relatively new thing to be hearing at the level we're hearing it now. Yes. And it's, and, and, and it's something that transcends the educational field too. Yes. Like, but when you're in a job and, and you said so many good things about, you know, we do say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's good when it's not. <laughs> yes. And we do. I don't know a teacher who isn't burning the candle at both ends. And that piece just hasn't always been there. And so that's, you know, it, it's, it's more than just retention. It's just like quality yeah. of life. Yes. I think about like two things. Number one, that that term self-care, we're hearing it all the time. And in fact, I actually, it makes me cringe a little bit because oh. there's a misunderstanding. And I use the term, but there's a misunderstanding. So people will say to me now, like, oh, I don't have time for self-care or self-care is expensive or I'll do self-care. Like, mm. so what there's what that's saying to me is they're thinking of the good self-care, which is like vacation and bubble baths and wine tasting, which I'm here for all of that. But that is the <laughs> self-care that makes us, that helps us show up for work. The self-care that, that really will help us show up for work is the icky self-care. It's like the true form of caring for ourselves. So 
the feel good self care is like, oh, I'm gonna stay up late and I'm gonna watch Netflix because that I'm gonna treat myself. Where the yeah. where the self care we actually need is to put ourselves to bed. And it's not to say we don't have indulgences and we don't enjoy life, but this is like the real self care. This is like, gosh, you know, drinking the stupid water. Would I rather drink Diet Dr Pepper all day long? Yes. But I know I need to drink stupid water. I will feel better. So that's the real self-care. So that piece is huge. So yeah. oftentimes I'll get like resistance up front, but it's because someone's thinking of consumer self-care. And I'm always like, oh, no, 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 no. This is this is a much deeper level. And that's such a good distinction to make, too, um, because there are people who think self-care is I'm going to buy this shampoo because it's got this stuff and it's going to make my head tingle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's so important. So important. Yes. Well, thank you. And, and and there was a lot you mentioned in your story. There's a lot of threads that a lot um, of vibes. A lot of vibes too. <laughs> but the other threads I want to pull back to. So you graduated from Iowa wanting to be a yes. Times bestseller. Now Iowa has the Iowa's writers workshop, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes. Yes. I like was that. not part of the workshop. I was in the undergrad program. Oh, but the undergrad program was so great because we were taught by the workshoppers and we're in that, you know, the same building and that same vibe. So I knew, I knew that that was absolutely where I wanted to go to school without a doubt. Yes. But, but, but I just find that fascinating because you have the synergy, you love research, you want to be a writer, and then it just all melds together. Um, and you're just right place, right time, right mentor. It's like, yeah. the just said, Hey, all right, here you go. And yes. you took it to it. Uh, one thing you mentioned is you're doing research in the Oklahoma schools to see what worked. What did you find there? Yeah. So what we did for the study, it was fascinating. We looked at uh, 75 schools and, oh gosh, it's been years. So <laughs> I hope I don't, someone might want to fact check this, but what we did is we, we were looking at, we looked at 75 schools that had very similar demographics and schools that by certain measures seemed to be successful and certain schools that were struggling a little bit. And it was just a study of like, what are these schools doing to try to pinpoint via not just looking at, at test data, but we did multiple, we did certain surveys, we did interviews, we did on-site observations. I traveled to, and, and so many of us, it wasn't just me, there were a lot of associates above where we traveled and we talked to teachers and talked to students and watched in the classroom through the lens of our instructional framework to try to see what are those pieces, what are these schools doing that that maybe we could take some of these ideas and help these other schools. So it was a, it was a statewide project and it was pretty fascinating. What it boils down to are the things that we know, relationships, relationships, relationships. The strongest schools put the relationships first and foremost. I mean, you can just feel it when you walk in the building. And so we just got that reminder again and again and again. There's that efficacy piece without a doubt with the teachers working together. You know, the true PLC model where it's not just my students and your students, but that mentality of these are our students. So it's it it absolutely mirrored what we showed, you know, what the major research findings, what John Hattie's work will show us with effect sizes. We actually saw it in person play out. That is, that's fascinating. That's really, yeah. Cool. Okay. So, because it's something like we oh, sorry, get upon this show all the time, relationships, every guest has mentioned that at some point. I just got a huge vibe from what you said there too. And I just want to call this one out. It's not my students and your students, it's our students. And yeah. and isn't that something we fall into though? You know, yeah. those kids who are, room, if you're in room 225, you're Mr. Polson's students. And if you're not, you're, um, and that's such a, a wonderful mindset to kind of attack the year with. 
Yes, absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm going to mirror it back to self-care as well, right? Of there's, there's a notion of someone said, oh my gosh, I want to give credit to someone said to me, I was, I was sharing the notion that self-care, I just, this term is driving me crazy because it's getting, it's not misused, but it's just not how I talk about it. And someone said, I think we need to call it we care, like W-E, because it's not, we can't do the, yes, there's things we do alone. But again, I believe that the, the sense of collective, collective efficacy that we talk about with student achievement absolutely applies to self-care as well. If we're all working together, instead of, let me let me give an example of the opposite, which, which I've been part of. So many schools, the badge of honor is staying at work the latest, right? I was at work until five o'clock last night. Nope, I was at work till seven. Nope, I, I didn't go home. I slept at school. You win, right? No, that's not winning. <laughs> like, how can we support each other to really take care of ourselves and not to the detriment of students, but like helping each other out, like going for a walk, right? Just small little things, doing little challenges around drinking the stupid water, eating lunch together and committing to like, let's just stop and actually, that's a radical move, eat lunch. Let's watch each other's classroom so we can use the restroom because we're drinking all the stupid water, <laughs> like all those pieces together. So I love, love, love the idea of we care. At the same, and again, it just mirrors what we talk about with students. When we really are working as a true professional learning community in the truest sense of that phrase, ah, how powerful. Think about Maslow's hierarchy. Like my dream, if you walk into a building and you know that the adults are all solid in Maslow's hierarchy, like they're operating from those top two levels, self-actualization and transcendence. You are going to have a school full of stable, sturdy, safe, supported students. Like, oh, just absolutely incredible. And and so, like, we're jumping into it then now, then because this this is really what what, what you're talking here. So, what is something that teachers should know about caring for themselves that they probably don't? You've hit on a few. What do you think is something like they they, they really need to know that they don't? Yeah, I think. The easiest, the most, the fundamental way that I talk about our own wellness and self-care is through Maslow's hierarchy, because most of us are familiar with it. We learned it in a psychology class. We, we know the bumper sticker now is Maslow before Bloom, right? So we think about it for students. The aha is often thinking about it for ourselves. So the, the reminder, if it's been a while since we thought about Maslow, it's that pyramid. I turned the pyramid into a ladder just for metaphor's sake <laughs> and put thinking about each of the rungs of the ladder because we want to climb up. So we start at the bottom, which is our physiological needs, diet, sleep, and exercise, the most essential. That's the area that I say, if you don't know where to start, start right there. Because when we feel better physically, we act better, quite honestly. I know, I will just speak for myself, sleep can be a real struggle for me. If I don't get enough sleep, I am a nightmare to be around. Like I present myself differently. No one wants a teacher. No one wants Miss Bogren when she has not had enough sleep. Let's put it that way. So taking care of our needs there, making sure that we feel that sense of safety. And safety is everything from financial security to feeling safe at school to having a sense of order and predictability and fairness. We move up level three as belonging. We have to feel like we have those important relationships 
relationships at school. We know teachers are, are more successful when they feel like they have a friend at work. That level four is esteem, that sense of efficacy, of a belief that I can do this job. And when we get those bottom four rungs solid, then we get to move up levels five and six. Self-actualization and transcendence is where the good stuff is. Self-actualization is when we feel like we're living our very best lives. And that transcendence is, is that's the heart of being a teacher. That's the why, that we are making a difference for something outside of ourselves. And we want to live there. We want to live at the top, right? Where we're living our best lives. We feel that sense of transcendence. But the reminder is it's hard, if not impossible, to get there and stay there if the bottom four rungs aren't solid. So taking time to check in with those levels, again, starting with level one, diet, sleep, and exercise, making sure that we feel safe. And safety is that sense of calm. So that's like deep breathing exercises time for rest, right? Which is a little bit different than sleep, kind of slowing down. We got to stop making exhaustion like the status symbol, right? We have to play. What I love about the slip inside is it's play. Making time for play uh, is huge. And then really just encouraging, again, those relationships and thinking about that, that efficacy piece and esteem. So when we have that lens, I think that that's really helpful. So what I do in the book, what I do through trainings is just help educate, it's everyone, but my audience is educators, just pause throughout their day to check in with themselves. I've put questions at each of the levels, just super simple questions. Level one, are my basic needs met? <laughs> Level two, do I feel safe? So we just pause, we ask ourselves those questions. And when we get stuck, when we get a question that our response is no, the commitment that we make is to stop and do something to turn that no into a yes. And for most educators, we get stuck at level one. I can picture numerous days, right? We're going through the day. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, I need to check in with myself. We stop and we say, okay, are my basic needs met? And then we just start laughing because we're like, no, I have not used the restroom since six o'clock this morning. I um, have only consumed coffee. Um, how many, many Snickers bars does it take to count as lunch? <laughs> right? And so that's a big fat no. So we stop right there. And then the key is we do something about it. Go use the restroom, go fill up your water bottle. Go stop and eat lunch. And what happens is the more that we do that, we start to build new habits and new routines. We start to feel better. And then things just start to fall into place in different ways. All of the pieces that I really stress are these small, teeny, tiny little things that we can do. I don't want to put any more on someone's plate, especially an educator. I know everyone is, you know, the old, <laughs> our plates are full, our buffet table is full, right? It goes on and on. I don't want self-care to be like another thing I have to do. I want it to just feel like, oh gosh, if I just do this teeny, tiny little thing, you know, um, the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, he talks about getting 1% better. I love that idea. What can I do to just get 1% better? And if we get 1% better over and over again, we've now formed a new habit and a new pathway in our brain, which is just incredible. Well, and, and I love the fact that you're keeping it on the very micro scale because, you know, often you hear about self-care workshops. It's like, well, you know, in the morning you should get up and do an hour of meditation, then go uh, go for your smoothie and then do a Zuma class on the way to work and then take <laughs> 45 minutes for lunch to do it. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Um, right. No. That's not realistic in, in my life. Right. So I love how you're mentioning on the micro uh, scale as well, just those moments throughout the day. Yes. Um, 
and, and so obviously like this past year has just taken a massive toll on, on every educator and we're all just trying to, we're in survival mode right we were yep. in survival mode this past yep. year uh, what concerns you based on the observations you've been making working with teachers yes so uh, i am i am worried because <sighs> last year was living through the crisis, right? We, it was literally just, just day by day, flying the plane as we're, <laughs> or building the plane as we're flying it. And who talk about crisis mode. And so there's this transition as we think ahead to next year of it's going to be different than last year, but it's not going to be great. <laughs> and I think we just have to come turns to that. It's not like poof, and we're back to normal, even considering what was normal. So this is fascinating in research. So Yale and Kaisel did a survey in 2020 in the height of the pandemic. They studied, they'd surveyed over 5,000 teachers and they asked them to identify the most common emotions that they feel each day. And you will not be surprised. Overwhelmingly, the number one most commonly cited emotion was anxiety, followed closely by overwhelm and fear and exhaustion, right? All negative things, which makes perfect sense for 2020. We know the reasons why. But when I dug back further in 2017, that same survey was done. And now in hindsight, we think, what did we have to worry about in 2017, right? Like we didn't even know the word coronavirus or COVID wasn't even on our radar. So it feels like, oh, I bet the emotions were pretty good. The fascinating part was the emotions were exactly the same, except happy showed up in 2017 that didn't show up in 2020, but it was still anxiety and overwhelm and exhaustion, which reminds us that the job is always hard. Take a pandemic and it makes it even harder, but it's not like this is magically going away. And so my fear is that in our race to close achievement gaps and to get students you know, back on track, our obsession with those pieces, we're going to forget the core basic needs, both for students and for adults. My hope though, is that Again, last year, the conversations kind of got started, and I think we're recognizing this. We cannot continue at this pace. And exactly as you said at the start, um, this ties to, I think you said this, this ties to retention. This ties to, you know, we all have heard the word burnout and compassion fatigue. These are terms that are thrown around a lot. And the antidote to those pieces is through educator wellness. So it's in it's in our best interest to consider this. And in fact, again, that that through line to student achievement, what the research tells us without a doubt is that the most direct correlation to student achievement is the teacher in the classroom, the teacher, not the curriculum, not the test, not the class size, all of which is important. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, it's the teacher the human being. And so if that person is totally depleted and worn out and exhausted, there's no way that those strategies that we talk about are going to have the same impact on students. So it's the hope that instead of having having workshops and book studies and conversations where this is just kind of the fluff off to the side, that this is hand in hand. My ultimate vision is that as teachers create student achievement goals for themselves, they also create a professional wellness goal and that we check in with that. And when we have coaching conversations and administrators work with teachers, that they not only ask them about their student achievement goals, but they ask them about their professional wellness goals. That would start to move the needle. And what I really like about what you're saying in all of this is uh, you, you've said like it's not the fluff at the start. 
But you know what it also isn't? It's also not the theoretical stuff that lives in the cloud up here. True. This is practical stuff. You're 1% every day. That's practical stuff. Yes. That's getting that water into you. And I know because I'm, I'm the same way. It's, it's real. And this is things that we can be doing every single day. And teachers are professional carers. Yes. And they're so good at caring outwardly. It's yes. that little 1% that says, I'm going to care about inward as well. And it's practical and it's real and it's things that we can do. You've said so many times, it doesn't need to be the big difficult thing. It doesn't need to be the consumer-based thing. This is stuff that we can do. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, we can start really small, but it's real. Yes. Yes. Big, what do you, what do you say? Big vibe. That's big exactly. vibe. Big vibe. Big vibe. <laughs> I got a big vibe. <laughs> yes. So, so let, let, let's get really practical then with it then. So 2021 uh, school year is about to start and I'm like, okay, I, I, I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. You mentioned Maslow. Where, where are some very simple places I could start then? Yeah. So, okay. Here's, here's a suggestion of, um, of, beyond thinking about Maslow. So one of the things that we know is that educators make a crazy amount of decisions. So you might've heard there's, there's some statistics that float around that the average teacher makes 1500 educational decisions per day. Now, I don't know who the average teacher is, but we know it's a lot, right? And if you break that 1500 educational decisions per day down into most teachers are in front of students about six hours a day, that's more than four educational decisions per minute. And that's just educational decisions. So, and anytime we're faced with something new, the decisions go up. So next year, as we think ahead, there's going to be changes. It's going to look different and all new things require new decisions. The reason I bring that up is because decision fatigue is a very real thing. It's such a real thing for teachers. So we can hit this place where if we think about like doing bicep curls, right? We can only do that for so long. And then our brain, that muscle gets tired. The equivalent of those bicep curls in our brain is making decisions. So at some point our brain just says, nope, I'm done. And that's decision fatigue. And when decision fatigue sets in, the first thing that flies out the window is willpower. And I bring this up because most of us are relying on willpower for self-care. We get done at the end of the day and we're like, oh, if I just had more willpower, I could go for that walk, but I'm too tired. And I'm here to say it's not your fault. It's the decision fatigue. Every profession makes multiple decisions, but it's more intense for educators. And I would say the difference for educators twofold. Number one, our decisions matter. There's a child at the end of that decision. We need to make good decisions. And number two, our decisions are relentless all day long. There's very few professions that cannot use the restroom at any time that they want. So the decisions are relentless. And what happens in, in our brain when we reach decision fatigue is our brain starts seeking shortcuts. Like our muscle gets tired, right? When we're doing bicep curls, our brain gets tired. So shortcut number one is we act impulsively. So here's my examples. Uh, think about, you know, do you make different food choices in the evening than you do in the morning? Do you ever just act impulsively or online shopping? Does that tend to happen at night or during the day? Right. Because we think our brain is tired and we don't think through the consequences. We just do it. The second shortcut is we do the ultimate energy saver, and that is to do nothing. 
So you know what's easier than making dinner? Driving through the drive-through. What's easier than working out? Uh, not working out, <laughs> right? And so that's all brain stuff. Like that's just, that is what it is. And I share that to recognize it's not our fault. For the longest time, I thought like my friends got sprinkled with the willpower dust and they just forgot me because I was too tired, right? This is why for so many of us, when we go home at the end of the day, if someone asks us what's for dinner, our head explodes, right? Because we've reached decision fatigue. So one of the simplest things that we can do is reduce the number of decisions we have to make. The, the, the solution to decision fatigue is to regulate and automate, regulate and automate. And again, these are tiny little things. They don't feel like they would add up, but they do. So these are things like making your lunch the night before, setting your clothes out, making sure that you have a specific place to keep your bag and your keys so you don't run around like a crazy person in the morning trying to find it, you know? Um, having grocery online delivery or online setup, right? Or pickup, or even one step better if they can drop the groceries on your front porch. Like all of those pieces, when we when we regulate and automate, what we're doing is we're saving our brain. Because I think if we've got this finite number of good decisions that we can make, I don't want to waste it on what I'm wearing. <laughs> I want to save my good decisions for students because as teachers, the key is we want to make quality decisions at two o'clock in the afternoon as we do for nine o'clock, there's a real detriment to students. The students that have us when we reach decision fatigue, when we start acting impulsively and we start making the easy choice where we don't push kids to higher expectations, we let them off the hook, we maybe fly off the handle too quickly, that's all a result of that decision fatigue. So we owe it to our students to try to reduce that. This is another thing that teams really can work together that collective efficacy, how do we divide and conquer to share the load to really reduce the, the number of decisions? So I always say that's a really good starting place, like brainstorm with your colleagues and your family and sit down and think, what are some things that we can do? And nothing is too small because again, those teeny tiny little things, that 1%, it really adds up. To think too. Uh, and I love how you have regulate and automate. I love it. But I have to think too, when that is a mindset that you start to get into habitually, yes. it's not just going to be the school that improves. It's going to be the relationship with the significant other. It's going to be the family unit. That I, that has to be a byproduct of it in yes. my opinion. Because think about, right, when we reach, so we make all these decisions at school, we reach decision fatigue. When we come home then, we're seeking those shortcuts. We're acting impulsively. We're snappy. We're saying things that we ah, we end up regretting, right? We have a reaction rather than a thoughtful response. And then we do nothing. So we don't want to go on the slip and slide with our child. We're just going to sit and watch them because we're so tired. And so what that's doing to our relationships at home, and then let alone any time that we do something for ourselves. So yeah, the impact, it's, it's that ripple effect. Even in the classroom as well, has your research or have you unearthed any ways that even in the classroom itself, we can regulate and automate some of those decisions? Yes. Right. Yes. So Absolutely. What, 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 so, yes. That's one thing I can do, like just 1%. Like, okay. Get your I'm kids kind of to do stuff, right? Training your students to have jobs and to take over. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And I know it's a pain to set up because they're like puppies. They take forever to learn how to do it, but stick with it because they will get it and you get to unload that. So many of us, myself included, we're control freaks and we're like, ah, 
I'll just do it myself, right? It'll be easier. Well, what we're doing is we're just adding more and more to our plate. If we can let some stuff go, and that's a benefit to students, give them responsibilities. Little kids can have responsibilities, give them a job, have a leadership position for that. Like, think about all those basic administrative tasks, like even making a list. And then, you know, we have students do jobs, but can we even add more? Like I, I met a teacher that said, you know what I'm going to do? One of my students is going to be in charge of making sure that my water bottle is full <laughs> at the, the beginning of class. Awesome. Take it off your plate. You don't have to make that decision. That kid walks in, checks your water bottle. I would choose a kid that you trust. They go fill the water bottle up. I taught middle school, remember, for a long time, so I'd be real careful with that one, but they bring that back. There you go. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things that we can do in our classroom is to give students more responsibility. Absolutely. I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who's doing the work in the classroom, right? Yes. You're, you're supposed to be the manager, right? You're yes. When we talk about management, what do they do? They delegate. Uh, that's wonderful. So like we only have so much time on this podcast and, but you have an incredible array uh, of offerings for teachers. You got books, keynotes, courses, uh, and your own podcast. Where can, where can I start? Where can I dive into your work and, and like, yeah. where should I start and why there? My invitation is always to jump over. I know Facebook is for old people, but I am an old person. So humor me on this is to join my Facebook group. So I started this a few years ago and it's just grown. It's my happy place. So I call <laughs> this is my group. I, I call this the badass self-care squad. So you just find it on Facebook by searching for self-care for educators. That's it. Self-care for educators. You'll see my picture. This group is the most incredible group. I have to share. There's 15,000 educators that are part of this and I've not had to block one person. Now, I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> oh. It is, though, the absolute most positive group I've ever met. I post one thing every single morning to get your day started right. Um, it's either a quote or a video or just something to think about. And there's so much interaction among educators, which I love because it's just, it's all over the world, actually. There are people cheering each other on. We do, we always do a gratitude challenge in November. We usually do self-care September where everyone posts kind of what they're, what they're doing for self-care. So I always say start right there. Just because what that's going to do is put you in community with people that are also thinking about self-care. So that's my first invitation. Um, from there, too, you can find, there's always links to find the books are on Amazon. I really, I work through Solution Tree and Marzano Resources, so I'm easy to find in a search field there. Um, my podcast is called Self-Care for Educators. It's available on all the platforms. It's actually at the website, just selfcareforeducators.com. You can find it. But I always say, just join that, that Facebook group. It's my happy place. And I'm super active over there. I know social media is a dumpster fire in so many ways, but that place, that is not, that is like my go-to happy place. So I'd wow, love for a, folks to join me. Did you hear that? Good people. We have a positive corner of the internet. It, <laughs> right? it exists. <laughs> yes. Come find us. Come find us. I promise. And and don't, don't scroll anywhere else. Just stay right there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I, love wow. I, I love that. I love this. I love this because there, there is. We're just scratching the surface here. So to be able to learn more, like the, I just want to dive deeper. Um, wow. Uh, so, in your opinion, then, what should teachers be unapologetic about in their practice? Mm, I love this. Taking care of themselves. That there's nothing selfish about it. It's that I know this is an overused statement now, but it's so true. 
Securing your own oxygen mask before you assist others is just essential. We cannot survive without it, that you are actually doing a favor to your family, to your students, to your friends, to your partner. When you take care of yourself, there's no guilt in that. No apologies. None apologies. Love it. it hey, you're on the right podcast then, my friend. <laughs> Vito. Chris. Vito, it has been a wild ride. It's been amazing. But you know what? We're in the same time zone right now, and I'm looking at my watch, and it's going to say the same thing that your watch has. And you know what it's saying? Oh, I'm reading it right now. It's, it's saying that it's time for the Pulsed points. Oh, my goodness. Uh, listeners, we were talking with Dr. Tina Bogren tonight, and I don't know about you, but I'm going to start working on my 1% after this conversation. Um, but we had so many big vibes tonight. Um, and, and someone, I, I usually, when the guest is talking a little behind the scenes for our listeners, I usually have my mic turned off cause I'm taking notes and things like that. I said big vibe like four times tonight with my mic off. Um, but we had big vibes, but let's hit those Polson points. Um, number one, Polson point, the first of the night, don't fear a placement that you maybe didn't want. Embrace it. Look at the career path of, of, of Dr. Bogren, what's, what's happened here, all because there was a placement that wasn't necessarily the one we wanted, but we embraced it. Um, hey, number two, the aha is when we start thinking about Maslow for ourselves and take that time to check in, my friends. Pulsing point number three, my friends, when we start thinking about it as we care, we got stable, sturdy, safe, supported students. I love that. Uh, number four, don't forget your core basic needs, my friends. Educators out there, don't forget your core basic needs. Uh, and, and this was a huge vibe, but it's also pulsing point number five. Regulate and automate. Avoid decision fatigue. But we got those big vibes, my friend. Big vibes tonight. Uh, big vibe number one, get some friends at work. Friends are so important. Get some friends. Big vibe number two. It's okay not to be fine. And the biggest vibe that we had tonight, and I loved this, and you dropped this one like it was the mic, and I loved it. Long days make for some good stories. Don't forget that. Long days can make for some good stories. And my friends, as you go about your teaching careers in your lives, do not apologize for taking care of yourself. Don't forget to secure your own oxygen mask. And before you leave here tonight, when the show is over, join Self-Care for Educators on Facebook. Pick up Coaching for Educator, uh, Educator Wellness and, and Dr. Burgram's other books on Amazon and any other online retailer. And if you get the opportunity, see this wonderful person live because she's speaking and check out her podcast. Dr. Tina Bogren, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Oh, my, oh, my absolute pleasure. You guys, I thank you. You created such a comfortable environment. I am cheering so hard for you. So thank you. I'm truly, truly honored that I had this time with you. Oh, the, the honor is ours. We bring on, on amazing people like yourself, steal their stuff and, and become better teachers ourselves. So thank you. Good. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off.
Podcast.